I'm going to talk to y'all tonight about conquering worry through daily prayer. And I remember when I first thought of the topic worry, and I started looking at some of the material that was that Pastor gave to us, I got to thinking of how much I worry all the time, and and it's it's driven me crazy because I'm not the type to get in front of people and speaks. That's not me. Like I remember when Pastor first asked me to speak, my stomach just dropped because I'm like, I can't do this. I'm not ready yet. I haven't I haven't conquered this fear yet. But then as I was as I started you know, preparing this message, I really, it really spoke to me, and I'm hoping it speaks to you all the way that it spoke to me because I've learned that although I worry that God is with me in everything that I do, and I believe he's with me here tonight as I begin to talk to you all about worry. And worry is something that's it's really a part of our world now because everywhere you look, there's always something that will make you worry. Like I, I stopped watching the news because I can watch 10 minutes of the news, and I would think that the world is ending and that, there's no hope left for us and that we should all just probably go in a t- side of a bunker and just stay there until we, I don't know, go in the rapture. I don't know. But I believe that a lot of times we get caught up in that and that we let that worry begin to just, we let it begin to over- overcome us and that we don't, we don't fulfill what God has for us because we're so worried about what is going on around us and what's going on in this world. And I'm going to start off by reading out of Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9, and verses 18 through 23, and it's the parable of the sower. It says, Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat behind, beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat, then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still, other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Then I'll skip down to verse 18. It says, Now listen to the explanation of the parable about about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. God, we just thank you for allowing us to come here tonight, God, and just to hear your word, God. And Lord, I pray that you just open our hearts to receive what you have for us, God, and I pray that Lord, we just stay focused on you and what you have for us. And God, I just thank you for once again for bringing us all here. And it's in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So as we saw in the parable of the sower, we see that some seed fell among the thorns and it became choked up by the thorns. And then God, or Jesus, I should say, 
when he explained it, he said that the seed fell among the thorns that, that they represented, people that hear the message of God and hear the word of God, but they get crowded out by the worries of this life. And I believe that speaks to us. I believe a lot of us, like including me, I'm bad about this, that I'll hear, I'll read God's word and I'll study and I'll get fired up. But then I follow my, I start getting worried about what's going on. I get worried about, you know, if I have enough money to do this, if, if I'm going to embarrass myself because I get up in front of people and I don't say the right things because I'm not a public speaker. But I believe that we're called to be the seed that fell on the good soil, the seed that sprouted up and that produced over a hundred times as much as has been planted. And so, <clears throat> although we worry a lot of times, God's Word tells us in Philippians 4, chapter 4, verse 6 through 7, it says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So we don't have to be caught up in the worries of this world. We can choose prayer instead of worry, which results in a peace that guards our hearts and our minds. And the Lord's, I'm going to talk about and break down the Lord's Prayer because the only way to conquer worry and conquer anxiety is through prayer. And I believe Jesus gave us a model of prayer that we can use daily to help conquer any kind of, any kind of worry that's in our lives. And so the Lord's Prayer as you pray and meditate on this prayer throughout your day, you'll find yourself more in tune with God. And I'm, I'm going to break down the first verse, or the first part of the prayer, which is Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. It says, In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I like it that the Lord, or Jesus, starts out the prayer with a praise and worship of God. Jesus is modeling the idea of giving him praise as we begin it. And there's, there's no rule, just because Jesus set this model of prayer, there's no set rule of how to pray. But I believe Jesus has just given us, given us this to show us how we can pray and how to stay in tune with God. And I believe using this model of prayer positions our minds to focus on the awesome and powerful one whom we are talking to. Our praise enthrones God, making him bigger and greater than any worry or care that we can face. And another cool thing that I found about reading the Lord's Prayer is that Jesus called God Father. He prayed to him in such a personal way that no one else in those days referred to God as. Everyone looked at God as this high and mighty being that, that they can't ever even look at him or they can't talk to him like that. They have to, they have to, we could walk, they have to walk in such a manner that they are in fear of him, which I'm not saying that we shouldn't fear God. We should fear God, but I believe what Jesus did here was he helped us to see that God wants to speak to us on a more personal level. He is our Father, and we are His children. And I believe that what Jesus did there was change completely how we, how we view God, because He called Him Father. See, we too are to approach God as our Heavenly Father. We too need to, need to start speaking to Him on a more intimate, personal level. He wants, us, he wants us to realize that He is right here, and He's wanting us to talk to Him. And... In Greek, the two words, hallowed be, are only one word, and its meaning is holy, pure, and totally clean. So this verse is honoring the Lord in his name, and throughout scripture, the names of God reveal his character and his nature. So Elohim means mighty one. Yahweh means the Lord. 
Abba means daddy or father. El Elyon means God most high. El Shaddai means God almighty. And Emmanuel means God with us. See, I believe that using these names of God in Scripture can help us to learn how to have a deeper understanding of what, who God is and what He has for us. And so I'm going, to go, I'm going to jump down to the second verse, or the second part of the prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. After praise and worship, we pray, and what, what this prayer means is that we are giving God complete control of our lives, and that we are not that we are too broken to have it on. We are too broken to control this life on our own. That God needs to take control, and we are praying and surrendering and submitting to Him, and what He has for us. I believe that as we truly surrender the details of our lives daily to Him, His peace guards over our guards over our hearts and minds. And when we pray, there are things that we need to pray for for God to take control and do His will. The first thing I believe that we need to pray for God to take control of is yourself and your family. Because it's important that we pray for our family. Because without them, we're lonely and we need them. I believe that family is important and vital that you pray over them because God needs to take control of their lives. He needs to take control of what they do as well as you. The second thing you need to pray for is your church. We should always keep our church in our prayers because you don't know, you don't know what the people inside of it are going through. You don't know the worry or the hurt that they're going through. It's also important to keep your pastor in your prayers and that he will, that he will remain to give God control of his life because pastors a lot of times get this, they get this idea that everything's right in their life and that they have nothing to worry about and that they have, like, people pretend that they have no life outside of church. And that is not the case because, as you can see, that pastor back in the summer that he took his own life, and nobody in his church even saw it coming because they didn't know what was going on in his life. They didn't know the hurt that he had. So I believe it is very important that we keep our pastor in prayer, and we just remember that he is human too. He's just like us. He's human. We also need to, take, we also need to pray for our members that are sitting beside us because they are also hurting, and they are broken just like we are, and we need to understand that they need God just as much as we do, and when they need God to take, take, take control of their lives. The third thing we need to pray for is our nation. Because our nation is at a time where we're divided more than we've ever been before. Like I was watching yesterday, I was watching the president, the vice president, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. I watched some of them. They sat in the Oval Office and they argued the whole time. And that, to me, just shows you where this nation's at right there. To me, yesterday, watching that was just, that was a picture of where our nation's at right now, where we can't seem to, we, we, we think that we have the answers. Politicians think that they have the answers, but they don't. They need God to take control, because this nation is a point of division. And we need to be praying for God to take control and help us to bring us back together and back to Him. Because it doesn't matter if you vote Republican or if you vote Democrat, they don't know the answers. The only one that knows the answer is God. And we need, to, we need to pray to God that he takes control of this nation because we are lost right now and he needs, we need him more than we've ever needed him before. The, third, the fourth thing we need to pray for is the peace of Jerusalem. 
in Psalm 122, David is praying for Jerusalem. And in verse 6, he says that we should pray for peace in Jerusalem. May all who love this city prosper. See, Jerusalem is the holy city. And God is saying through David that everyone who loves Jerusalem will prosper. Everyone who prays for Jerusalem will prosper. And I believe that recognizing Jerusalem as a holy city is a great step in letting God take control back of that city. And the fifth thing we need to pray about is the persecuted. We should keep those who are persecuted in our prayers because they don't, they're in desperate need of intercession from God. They don't know what they're doing with their lives. They don't know what's going on, and they need God to take the reign. And I believe that is vital when, when we pray is to pray for those five things. Now I'm going to move on to verse 11, Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, where God says, or Jesus says, Give us this day our daily bread. So bread in this verse symbolizes our needs. Here Jesus is teaching us to pray for our daily needs. Not our wants, but our needs. In Philippians 4.19 it says, and it says, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. So Jesus called himself the bread of life. He is the ultimate answer to all of our needs because he was given for us. He, he was given to break down the wall where we can talk to God on a more personal level. We don't have to slaughter an animal every time we need to just ask for forgiveness. Now we can just talk to God and have a real conversation with him. And I believe Jesus was, he was the stepping stone for that. And now we we'll move on to verse 12 where he, where he says, And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. So forgiveness, I love how Jesus threw forgiveness in there because I believe it's so important that he included in there to make sure that, and he also made sure that we include that as we have forgiven those who sin against us. So it's important that we confess to God our sins and that we ask for forgiveness. But I believe that it's vital also is that second part where he says, as we have forgiven others. So we can't just seek forgiveness from God and in turn not forgive our neighbor who has wronged us. That is not what God has called us to do. That is not how Christians, how we should be. See, in uh, verses, it is so important to God that later on after the prayer, in verses 14 and 15, he says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And I believe this is a story that was really, I believe this is important in the parable of the unforgiving servant. Let me find it real quick. So in Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 35, in the parable of the unforgiven servant, he says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me, and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, 
You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. So a lot of times I feel like we can be the servant. We can be just like him. We will beg for God for forgiveness again and again and again. But we'll then, in turn, we'll hold on to a grudge and we'll refuse to forgive someone because they've wronged us. But yet, I know, I know many times that I've wronged God that there's times I, I believe that God shouldn't have even forgave me because I was at that point where I, when I was a teenager, I felt like I did so many bad things that God couldn't love me anymore. But yet, when I'd go and ask for forgiveness, He was still there to forgive me and to love on me. And to me... For us to be able to just to go back to someone else and not forgive them and hold that grudge against them, that is, that is not what we're called to do. We are called to be a light, and we're called to forgive others. And I believe Jesus made that point boldly. He made this point of boldly putting forgiveness and unforgiveness in a prominent place in his discussion of prayer. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, the first half of, chapter, uh, first half of verse 13, it says, And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. See, God allowed Jesus to be tempted by the devil. But Jesus wasn't, he wasn't affected by what the devil was tempting him with because he had God's word in his mind. He had God's word implanted in his spirit. And he would, he would spit back scriptures at the devil that, that basically proved everything he was saying wrong. And I believe if we will plant God's word in our minds by meditating and memorizing by meditating and memorizing scripture the holy spirit will bring the appropriate scriptures to our mind as well in times of temptation see god will deliver us from temptation but it also requires us getting in his word and talking to him as well and i believe when praying this part of the lord's prayer or praying this part of your prayer it's good to think about and meditate on ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 18 when you're putting on the armor of god and it says a final word be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will, stand, you will, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body of armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. It's important for us to remember and meditate on that verse because we're at war every day that every day that we wake up and go outside or anything, we're at war. And I'm not being dramatic, we're at a spiritual war. Every every day that we get up, we're facing temptation, we're facing lies of the enemy, we're facing so many different things in the spiritual realm, and it's important for us to put on the armor of God. It's important us for us to stay in prayer and to be focused when our time comes. And I'm going to skip down to the second half of Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. It says, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 
So God started the, he started the prayer with praise and worship and thanksgiving, and he ended the prayer with praise and worship and thanksgiving. And I believe that we must proclaim God's glory and his power because God's kingdom is his sovereignty, his royal power and dominion. When we pray his kingdom, we are acknowledging God's rule. It is important for us to proclaim God's kingdom because then that's when we can, be, that's when we, we can begin to experience God's kingdom. That's why, that's why it's important that praising our God becomes our lifestyle because if we truly want his kingdom to come to us, we have to first give him praise. So praise promotes God's power. Again, when we praise, when we praise God by promoting his power, God's power shows up, and through the exercise of his power, we promote God's kingdom in the earth. And in Acts 1.8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So I'm going to note the connection there in that verse between divine empowerment and the promotion of God's kingdom in this promise that, that he made. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, that is when we can promote God's kingdom. And we're also to give him glory because he deserves it. And glory is defined by John Piper as the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. Piper uses the word manifold because he says the manifestation of his character and his worth and his attributes, all of his perfections and greatness are beautiful as they are seen by many. As with the kingdom and the power of God, the glory of God comes to those, those who ascribe glory to God in praise. The Apostle Paul wrote in Corinthians, he wrote to the Corinthians, as to say, and he and we who reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with every increasing glory. The more that we promote his, the more we promote his power and his glory, the more we begin to walk in the Spirit as it empowers us to promote his kingdom. So in the prayer, we, we gave God praise and worship. Then we submitted and surrendered and gave our lives to God, saying that it's all his. Then we, that's when we petitioned for his intercession. We petitioned for his, that he answer our needs and that he gives us this bread that is our daily need. Then that is, when, that is when things start kicking up. That's when we confess our sins and we ask for forgiveness. After that is when we start praying for deliverance and protection from the things that come against us. Then we give him praise and worship again. And so we can choose prayer instead of worry. Like me, I could have just told Pastor, I don't know if I can do this. I, think, I, I don't think I need to do this because I'll, be, I'll go into panic attack if I go up there and talk in front of people, but instead, I chose to pray about it, and I chose, God, I chose to pray to God that he give me the, the ability to do this, because I couldn't do this on my own. There's no way I could do this on my own. I have to have God's help with me, and it's really humbling whenever you face one of your toughest fears, and you fail, because I've done that many times in school, and I believe that that humbling experience helped me to see that I needed God more than ever, especially when he called me to preach. Because I remember when he first called me to preach, I, I didn't know what to say. I said, 
think you got the wrong person because I can't do this. You obviously talking to the person next to me. I can, I can, I, mean, I can tap him on the shoulder if you need me to, but I believe that God has a purpose for me, and that is what I cling on to. When I when I worry, when I stress out, I was sitting over here worried a little bit ago, but I remembered what God promised me, and I remember that just worrying does nothing for me. And I, I cling to his promises because if we take this model of prayer that God or that Jesus gave to us, I believe the spirit of worry and anxiety will begin to fade away because then we can rest in the comfort of knowing that Emmanuel is with us. So that's my challenge for y'all is that when you start to feel worry or anxiety or depression or anything start to creep in, that you remember to go into prayer and that you don't focus on the things that are around you, but you turn your focus on God. So I'm going to pray for y'all real quick. Lord, I pray that we just want to praise you and thank you, God. And I pray that as we, as we begin to walk this journey of life, God, as we continue to walk this journey of life, God, that if anything begins to creep up, God, any kind of worry or doubt or self-doubt or depression or anxiety or anything starts to creep up, creep up in our lives, God, Lord, I pray that you just... I pray that you just remind us of you, God, and that we turn our focus on you, Lord, and that we don't let the thorns of, of this worry or anything to just, we don't pray that it doesn't grow up and choke us out, God, but we pray that we focus on you, Lord, and that we put our trust in you, God, because you're always there for us. And that is my prayer is, as we just continue to do this journey of life, God, is that you be with us and that we're reminded that you're always there, God. And it's in your name I pray this, Jesus. Amen.